I'm Alex Milleris. And I'm Taisei Fu. And sadly, we must open this episode with the acknowledgement of the fact that once again, the public is wrong in uh, their voting because for whatever reason, my excellent track and field team lost the vote by an incredibly wide margin. Uh, and I can't help but think that everyone is just, uh, I don't know, incorrect in failing to see the glory of the steeplechase and the high jump. Okay. Well, you, you, you claim it's for whatever reason. Um, the reason is clearly that my team is superior. Um, I, don't, I don't know why you thought your team was so good. Like, you're, you're the steeple jump, the high jump, you know, extremely, extremely overrated by you. And clearly not by everybody else because they agreed with me. Um, this was an appropriate route. Uh, I said immediately after the draft, I felt extremely good about my team. And, uh, I mean, it's clearly borne fruit. It's, I mean, my team was better. It wasn't even close. I don't even know why you thought you had a chance. That, I'm 2-0 now. I'm just good at drafting. You can call me this, the, well, I don't know what you can call me. You can call me the, the Steve Eiserman of drafting. Um, sure. We'll go with that. Um, and you know, you're the Jim are in near last place in the entire NHL. So I think that that title definitely fits. Wow. Okay. Well then, you know, well, you can call you the, uh, well, who the Kevin, well, not the Kevin Adams. He hasn't drafted anybody. Uh, well, whoever the Buffalo guy was before that, um, you're the, you're the Jason Botterill of drafting. There we go. Uh, cool. Okay. I'm the assistant GM with the Seattle Kraken. I, I'll take it. Everyone loves the Seattle Kraken. Anyway, kind of grasping mm-hmm. at straws here. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Except your loss. Yeah, I accept this loss graciously, I suppose. But I'm still protesting the Alphabet one because my team was clearly better than that one. Maybe we'll do a recount eventually. Anyway, uh, let's start with the Canucks. And they have... A lot of players on the COVID protocol list, including uh, some of the coaching staff as well. There have been some conflicting reports over the past, mostly the past 24 hours or so, about how many positive cases there are. I think Darren Dreger said over 20 within the organization. I think someone else said a little less than 20. Either way, what we do know is that several of them are very sick. Some of their family members also caught COVID now. By far, uh, the worst we've seen in the NHL so far, the worst outbreak that there's been amongst a team. It seems like uh, unless this is just getting more coverage, which I don't see why, why it would, this is worse than what happened with Buffalo early this year, with the Devils this year. And this is exactly what a lot of people, including us, were afraid of. We're afraid what happened if the NHL went on with this season at all. And, and guess what? It's happened now. And unfortunately, what's probably going to happen is the NHL is going to try to find a way to finish the season for the Canucks because, I mean, especially since the Canucks don't have any playoff aspirations, it makes total sense for them to call it quits on the year, shut it down, make sure everyone in their families uh, gets totally healed and gets totally healthy. And it looks a lot like that's not the direction the NHL is going to go in. Yeah, so, well, first of all, that decision there is clearly, you know, it's the NHL doing what it's always done chasing the money um, because yeah, you look at the situation is clearly, this is way worse than anything we've seen, even like Dallas, right? Remember, like, I think it was what, like the, almost the entire team had it before the season even started. Uh, but even then, like we didn't even hear much about the actual conditions of the players. And, you know, I assume some people had symptoms, but you know, we didn't, it, it didn't really make the news. And like during the outbreak, it was just like, Oh, the games are being postponed. It wasn't all oh, these people are, you know, sick and, and uh, they have like severe symptoms. Uh, yeah. This, this situation is clearly uh much worse than what we've seen before. 
Uh, and yeah, it's it's concerning because like you know it's it's apparently it's one of those very like they've uh, identified it's one of the variants. It came from Brazil, and so you know that's the risk, right? It's not just the OG COVID. You got these variants that can come in, and we don't really know like how effective vaccines are against it, and you know, or just even what really the like you know the the rate the, sim- the rates of symptoms and all that. So um, it's scary. It's scary because yeah, you talk about it's not just the players at this point because you know even if they like they do get sick, and that's concerning because these are these people are you know the peak peak athletic shape uh, just throughout society, right? Uh, being professional athletes. But um, but on top of that, right, we hear there's family spread and then that's where it starts to get concerning, right? You know, we're talking about who knows who they're spreading it to, their partners and their kids and we don't know who's immunocompromised and all that. So uh, yeah, very scary situation. And, and as for like what, what to do going forward, I mean, like I, I heard, I saw on Twitter just like just now before we started that there was a report, I think it was Harmon Dial. Um, who reported it, uh, something about, like, apparently there were sources that were saying that, like, some of the Canucks players are wondering, you know, if it's even worth it to continue playing, right? Yeah. Uh, and because, well, not only is it, do they, are they out of the playoffs, basically, but also just from a human perspective, I mean, just the risk that you're running uh, uh, compared, like, when you're putting your family at risk like that, uh, it's, you know... Like we've been saying this from the beginning, right? Like if some, like if we have an outbreak, and clearly, like the outbreak happened at work, right, uh, within the team facility. Um, you know what? Like how how much guilt does the league and the team bear for continuing to you know soldier on and kind of like cutting their losses? Yeah, I feel especially bad for Travis Hamanick. Um, as you might remember in the bubble when he was with the, the Flames back in the summer, uh, he was one of the few players and he was the most notable player who opted out uh, because I believe it's his daughter who is immunocompromised in some way. And now he's on the Canucks and he's one of the players on the COVID protocol list. And we could probably deduce that there's a very good chance he's one of the players who did test positive. So absolute worst case scenario for him. Uh and man, that, that must suck to be like, all right, I guess I need to accept the risk and go and continue my career. Because like, what other choice would he have had? And the worst case scenario comes true. Not only does he catch COVID, but I mean, uh, these stories would imply it might be even worse than he than he could have imagined. Um, but I also, I feel like we should probably mention uh, Damian Cox and his awful take. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you saw this. Uh, and I was just scrolling through Damian Cox's uh, tweets to try and find it. But unfortunately, it, it was kind of hard because his he's just filled with him, quote, tweeting everyone who criticized him and like trying to come up with snarky comebacks. But basically, for anyone who didn't see it, uh, this was almost uh, this was 19 hours ago, according to Twitter. And Ian McIntyre said, uh, understandably, NHL wants Canucks to play full 56 games, but four in a row versus Ottawa, April 22nd to 28th, are probably irrelevant. Schedule could be shortened or altered, so Canucks play playoff-bound teams that week. Then Damian Cox, in all his wisdom, said, The question then becomes, are you handicapping those playoff-bound teams by forcing them to play against a Vancouver team that's more rested than it otherwise would be? This is a complex problem. Then, of course, everyone dunked on him. Uh, and he made the rounds again. This happens every once in a while. Damian Cox, you look through all everything he's ever said. Uh, not only is it incredibly stupid, it also tends to to be clearly devoid of any sort of empathy. And this is probably the the greatest extreme of that we've ever seen. Yeah, this is like 
you know, this is a problem we've seen in kind of the, the hockey journalism industry. It's just these dudes who clearly have no understanding that there are people that they're covering um, and they don't treat them as such. They're just trying to get those clicks. They're trying to get the juicy headlines, the hot takes on Twitter. Uh, and the result is, are these completely irres- reckless and irresponsible, you know, tweets that, and you know, people follow these people, right? You have lots of fans who follow these, these, you know, journalists, quote unquote. Uh, and, you know, they take the word at face value. And so, you know, dudes like Damien Cox, you know, Steve Simmons, also another dude that comes to mind. The guy in Philadelphia. Uh, Sam, was Karkiri. Sam Karkiri. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like all, all these, all these idiots. All right. Like no journalistic integrity whatsoever. Um, and yeah, it's just a matter of uh, treating the people like people, like the people that you're reporting on. And, you know, alas, that's not like clearly he took the angle of, uh, well, like not considering them as people. Uh, talking about like, oh, freaking more rested and uh, are you handicapping these playoff bounties? It makes like it's such a stupid take. It's such a stupid take. Uh, and I mean, maybe if he thought about it for more than 10 minutes, he would change his mind. But apparently not because he's out here like waging wars on Twitter with people in his uh, comments. So, uh, you know, every so often, yeah, we see these clowns show up on the timeline uh, and with, with these stupid takes and, you know. I, I get tired of it. Yeah, Sam Karkidi was actually also making the rounds earlier on in the week uh, for his, I don't even want to call it a piece, but the thing he wrote about Carter Hart and uh, his struggles this year, basically uh, digging around, finding out that Carter Hart had separated from his sports psychologist, I guess a couple months ago. And he was like, oh, is this why Carter Hart is is doing poorly this season? And I think he actually reached out to the psychologist, who I guess apparently is uh, somewhat professional and therefore declined to comment on uh, out of respect for his former client, Carter Hart, which is what you would expect someone to do. And Sam Karkidi, I guess, didn't take the hint. And he continued to specula- speculate on Carter Hart's personal life and his mental health and how that may relate to his, uh, his uh, struggles this season. And remember, this is the same guy who Yakov Voracek called out early in the season um or, be, or like refused to answer his questions because Sam Karkidi just ruthlessly I don't know criticized Yakov Voracek for no reason for years on end and this is the same guy who last year in the bubble uh when everyone was talking about the racial protests including the NHL players actually said like okay can we put all this aside for a second and talk about how your power play is gonna go with like the absence of some random player it's like read the room man so he just seems like like very Damian Cox style of guy who like doesn't really seem to care about anyone else except for you know getting clicks and getting reads and doesn't even consider ethics and whatnot. Yeah, they they clearly skipped all the lectures in university on journalistic ethics, um, you know, or just decided to just sleep through it um, because uh, yeah, this is like one on one shit. You know, it's like things that we see like the general public sees and you can immediately point out like, what the fuck are you doing? This is clearly a violation of, uh, well, any sort of human decency. Uh, and you know, for them to do it over and over again, it's like, why, well, you know, why, why are these people still employed? Well, cause they get the clicks, honestly. Ooh, some, um, some news unrelated, uh, but Kyle Palmieri, uh, is being held out of the devil's game today. Uh, because they think they're going to trade him before the deadline, which is coming up very soon in about eight days. Uh, so we're probably going to start seeing some more of this with uh, players being held out of the lineup in advance of trades. 
Cal Palmieri is definitely going to be one of the, the top trade ships of this year's deadline. I don't think Montreal will be in on him, but uh, but anyway, speaking of Montreal, they had games this week, finally, once again, uh, and they won two of them out of the three, which isn't bad, except for the loss, of course. Uh, the first two games back from uh, their their week off because of COVID protocol um, were very good, and I, I thought were very reminiscent of earlier on this season when everyone was saying they look like a juggernaut, they look like a cup contender, it looks amazing. Unfortunately, it only lasted two games this this time because uh, last night uh, was um, was pretty bad, pretty bad uh, showing against the Ottawa Senators, uh, which was how many times is that they've lost to Ottawa this year? They, I'm pretty sure they have a losing record against them. I think that's like at least three, maybe four losses against Ottawa this year. Uh, but do you want to start with the better games earlier in the week? Yeah, I mean, on it, like this felt like I understand, you know, it's been it's been a while since the game started uh, since we've had a Habs game. But, like, I don't know, this this whole week felt much of the same. You know, like, we had a nice little stretch. Uh, you know, Price was great in the 4 nothing game uh, against the Oilers. And it looked good. And the 4-1 game was the Senators. You know, they took care of business. Uh, but, you know, and then and then you, you come up against the freaking Senators and you pull stinkers. So I guess the answer to your question is, do I want to start with the good games? It's not really. I'd like to start with the bad games. Because that's a bit more telling, I find. Because, you know, as I keep saying... The teams in this division kind of suck, all right? A lot of them do, except maybe the Leafs. But the others, all right, I don't think of them very highly, frankly, because I think they're very deeply flawed. Um, and, you know, it's it kind of it's kind of fit the theme of the season. It's kind of fit the season in the last half decade where it's just this team is just too damn inconsistent, you know? Um, and I understand it's like one game, whatever, 6-3, but they were outplayed. They were completely outplayed by the Sens last night. It was completely embarrassing. Price was awful. Uh, and... Like, it's not, it's not an isolated incident. We keep losing to the Senators. We should not keep losing to the Senators. Senators stink. Um, and, you know, you can point to other teams in the division. Like, you can say, that, oh, the Flames also lose to the Senators. Well, the Flames stink too. Um, so, you know, that's not, that's not a valid excuse in my mind. Because, uh, you know, a team like the Habs, supposedly, who wants to take that next step into the playoffs, I mean, they should be beating them with some regularity and not having a losing record to a team that's in a tank. All right? So, you know, like, it's... I, I would like it's just it's just yet another week of being way too inconsistent, and you have these nice games, and yeah, you get some encouragement. Oh, look at that! We're on a nice little three-game winning streak, um, and then it all comes crashing down when the freaking Senators come out here and I'll play you. And I don't remember who played goalie last night. Oh, it's Anton Forsberg um, getting outplayed by Anton Forsberg. It makes no sense. Um, well, it does make sense. This team is just it's deeply flawed. It's deeply flawed, and they're going to be a playoff team, but I don't expect them to go far. And this is the kind of week. That kind of like you know support that judgment. Yeah, this week is kind of a a great microcosm of the Canadian season, and maybe not even just this season. Maybe the past several years, where they have one amazing, great showing, dominant game against the Oilers, another very solid game where they come out with a with a win against a bad team, and then a total stinker. And I think that kind of one 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 ratio is more or less what we've come to expect with this team, uh, with their seasons as a whole, which is probably a bad thing. Uh, that they can't hold on to that dominant or at least uh, solid performance for extended stretches. Uh, so if, let's talk about yesterday's game, the bad one. Um, I think what really cost them was that the two players who need to be their most important players were both really bad. Carey Price let in several stinkers, uh, including that one. I know there was like the one with like the blown coverage, Kotkaniemi, and I uh, can't remember who else. They left Evgeny Dadanov wide open in front. Uh, which of course is a mistake, but that was that was kind of 
Like, that wasn't such a great shot that he took either. Carey Price should have had that one. It squeaked through him, and that wasn't the only one. There were at least two or three that I was like, Carey, come on, you got to have that one. And Jeff Petrie is the other player uh, who we just were talking last week or maybe the week before about how he's been the Canadiens' MVP this year. No question. He was even getting a bit of Norris buzz. I think that's kind of died down, especially over the past week or so, uh, because Jeff Petrie, especially yesterday, uh, bad game. And not just from the standpoint that, like, oh, he made, like, a, a bad turnover that led to a goal that was that was pretty ugly. He wasn't doing much to, to generate offense or generate scoring chances either. Uh, so Petrie and Price might have been uh, maybe not their worst games of the season, but the fact that, that they both had stinkers at the same time was kind of a recipe for disaster. Yeah, and this team kind of runs through them, doesn't it? You know, Jeff Petrie, he anchors that defense. We've talked about how there's really nobody on that defense, so they you know, I would say overly rely on the guy, uh, both offensively and I guess kind of defensively too, uh, even though that's not a specialty. And yeah, Curry Price, uh, story of the season. This guy's just way too inconsistent. I mean, yeah, we've been talking all year about his performance. It's been up and down, lots of downs, especially for a guy who's being paid like $10 million. Um, and I mean, it sucks. It forget sucks. I don't know what, what the solution is anymore. Because we talked earlier, like before the season started, about how, you know, it's going to be fantastic. We have a competent backup in Jake Allen, which he has been. To the credit of Jake Allen, he's been, you know, better than we've possibly expected. And, you know, he's been taking a solid chunk of games, what we've been pining for for years because Price has been overworked. But, uh, you know, but still, Price has put up these numbers where they've been quite disappointing. I mean, like, think about, like, the 4 nothing game, that was his first shutout all year. And I know shutouts, you know, they're, they're fluky-ish. But, like, you know, it's kind of it's kind of an indication, too. It's just how of how the season... Hasn't been very good for the guy. And, I mean, what can we do at this point? What can we do to help him? Um, you you, you want to give him more games, but then he's probably going to get overworked, especially at his age. Um, but, like, maybe that's what he needs to get in his groove. Or, you know, you want to rest him, but apparently, like, you look at what's happening this season, it's not really working. He's kind of very inconsistent. So, what's the, I don't know what the fix is anymore. Because, you know, our the fix supposedly heading into the season that, you know, I, I kind of held the belief was... Uh, you know, we give him some rest and then we get playoff carry price, but for the entire season. Uh, but that formula was wrong and we're seeing it, you know, like once a week we see these stinkers or maybe more than once a week uh, and, and against the standards, no less. So uh, very disappointing. Yeah, I I'm still kind of with that. I don't think the solution to carry price if he's not playing as well as we want would be, oh, play him more. He'll get better. That that doesn't really seem to to logically track for me and there's the fact that that Carey Price I mean he do, he has had really solid stretches this year of course you know we don't like these stinkers mixed in uh but honestly I don't think has he been that much worse this year than he has been in the past couple of years when you look at it overall I don't think so I don't think he's doing any worse now that he's playing at a less frequent rate than he has been uh over the past couple of years and I think the the solution is just let him get used to the different schedule because he signed for many more years after this. I think it's five. Uh, and he's not going to be playing 65 games in an 82 game season. He's going to be playing closer to 50 or 55. Let him get used to this rotation. Let him get used to resting a little bit more often. And I think he'll probably find somewhat of a groove more so than he has. And especially with this jam-packed schedule that they keep talking about for the last month and a bit Montreal's going to have, I think it's probably going to be... Jake Allen will probably be playing even more often than he has been for the first uh, slightly over half 
of the season. I think it'll it might even be close to 50-50 we're seeing because there are four games almost every single week for Montreal. And I think Jake Allen will be playing uh, two out of the four in most of the weeks. Okay, well, first of all, like you compare it to the last two years, like he's been worse this year than the last two years. I mean, last year it wasn't particularly good, but he had he had a better save percentage by by seven ticks. And then you look a couple years back, he was a 918 goalie. This year, he's a 902 goalie um, against a bunch of teams that stink. That stink. And he's still a 902. Uh, and so, you know, the quite like we've, so, okay. And even if you say, you know, he hasn't been that much worse. All right. Let's say he's been kind of constant. Well, then the question is, what the hell do we do now? Um, you know, like, is there any way to shelter him even more? Because we've, you know, we've tried the Allen approach and it hasn't been, it has, he hasn't gotten significantly better. Right. Um, and you could make, you could absolutely make the argument that he's gotten worse. Um, so, you know, whether it might be, it might just be a question of age and, you know, my hypothesis right now at this point, I think it might be it's time to accept that he's just not a very good goaltender anymore. Uh, he has nice nice stretches, but then it's mixed in with too many inconsistencies. Uh, and frankly, there are a lot of goalies who you could do, like, about that level. You know, a lot of goalies, a lot of starters in the NHL, you could go around and be like, you know, they have nice stretches, but they also have very inconsistent stretches. And so, you know, it's like, like the question is like, what can we do? What can we do? I think there's like really not much, right? What do you think? Yeah, we, well, we talked about this problem a couple of weeks ago when Carey Price had like a, a dud week. Uh, just saying like it's a problem. Uh, too much money. He isn't as good as he used to be. And there's really nothing you can do to like find the perfect solution to the problem. Nothing Mark Bergevin can do to just, you know, wave his magic wand or whatever and make it go away. So what I was saying before, I still stand by that you're trying to get the most out of this asset. He needs to continue at that price, especially to be the starter for a couple more years. And I think that resting him in the long run is still probably a smart idea, even if his play has dipped a little this year, even if he's not used to the the different schedule yet, the rest is going to help him maintain a higher level of performance longer down the road. Yeah, you're right. I think, I think what we need, I think what just the, the perspective needs to shift though, uh, from expecting a bounce back. And personally, I have been expecting a bounce back. Um, I talked about it earlier in the season with this whole Jake Allen. I just talked about it five minutes ago. Um, but I think it's time to put it to rest. Where is this guy is not elite anymore? He hasn't been elite for a while. But like clearly, it's not coming back. Uh, and yeah, let's just try to ride this out. Let's just try to ride this out as long as possible, as painlessly as possible. Um, and yeah, I think you're right. I think that's the solution. You just like you get a competent backup. You try to keep Jake Allen. You pray Seattle doesn't take him. Um, Seattle then, will like, take that's him. Kind of how you. Yeah, I know. But that, yeah, well. Well, well maybe it's still, the I, think it'll, I don't think it'll be that hard. Yeah, even Caden Primo, I have uh, a, a reasonable confidence that he could uh, come into Jake Allen's role like as soon as next season, or if not next season, the one after that. And in the meantime, uh, I don't think it's too impossible to find a Jake Allen level backup to play, uh, however many thirty of the games in an eighty-two game season. Yeah, fair enough. I don't know. I think Jake Allen. Is that, okay, so maybe a sub, a bit of like a sub Jake Allen level, because I think Jake Allen is an excellent backup, and I think there, are, frankly, there aren't that many in the NHL. Um, but you know, to get one at a cheaper price, you're probably right, and you get like maybe seventy five percent of Jake Allen, uh, in terms of talent level, for much cheaper. Yeah, but you know, like the Habs, I don't, frankly, with this whole goaltending situation mess, 
paying this guy so much money for a while. Like, I don't foresee any sort of contending window in the next five years. You know? It just doesn't feel like it's possible with that guy in the net. And, like, you know, I've kind of come to this realization over the last little while. Like, is there a path in which the Habs become a juggernaut? And I can't think of it. I can't conceptualize it because just the, 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 the dead anchor contract in net. And, and you know, at defenseman as well with Shea Weber. Like, I don't see how they can really contend. I don't know. Oh, uh, that's very sad. I thought we were supposed to always, even if we don't really believe it, pretend that we have hope that they can win this Stanley Cup soon. I thought that was part of the unwritten agreement. Well, you know what? It might just be that we're at, like, the, you know, the we're past the midway point of the season and the Habs are mediocre and I'm just down on them. You know, because... Maybe you know, you know, like they've let me down this year because of their great start, and even just like the playoff, like the little, little, very small sample size that they had in the bubble last year. Um, and so, you know, what? I'm sure you call it, you like we're we're talking in. Uh, well, I don't know when they'll start the next season, but let's assume it's October. Uh, I'll be, I'll have that renewed optimism. But right now, even you know, it's it's not great. It's like the media. We're back on the mediocrity train. That's what it feels like right now. Despite the fact that it's a it's a very bad division, uh, it still feels like we're stuck in that mediocrity train, and I think that's got what we that's that's what's got me down right now. It's just like you know, it's like we're seeing the same week over and over. You know, it's so interesting, like with second through fourth in the North Division, because yesterday they were showing like the points percentage on uh, on Sportsnet. They're like, well, by points percentage, Montreal is actually second. Then they lose one game, and now they're back down to fourth. So. Uh, Still a, a wide range of positions where they could end up finishing. Uh, but just to, to finish off uh, up on uh, last night's game, uh, the low point for me did not come from uh, from Montreal. It came from Ottawa, and it actually came from behind the bench when DJ Smith lowered his mask and, and grabbed his gum out of his mouth and chucked it into the empty stands. Uh, it, it was, it was gr- gross without the pandemic thing going on. I'm pretty sure during the broadcast, they were actually discussing the Canucks at the very moment they panned over to DJ Smith, um, taking out his gum. Uh, first of all, extremely disrespectful to the cleaning staff. And second of all, extremely dangerous. Uh, you know, there, I don't know. I'm not sure how like science works and all that, but I'm pretty sure there could be COVID on the saliva on your gum that you're now forcing someone to clean up. Like, I don't put it in your pocket, throw it away, something. I don't know. And of course, you know, we all coaches, whenever they pan over to them, they're constantly putting their mask down to talk, which I'm pretty sure is the exact time you need to keep your mask on because you're propelling air more or something when you're talking. It's like, it, I haven't actually seen this, thankfully, but I've heard many stories of people who, when they're out, they'll see people take down their mask to cough. Isn't that exactly why you have your mask on? To, to not cough in the air around and spread it to people. It's just, I feel like these coaches don't, they don't understand what their mask is for. It's desensitizing people to like, oh yeah, taking their mask down, becoming, I don't know, acceptable in these fears. And I don't understand why the NHL hasn't, you know, made, started fining these coaches for like, oh yeah, you take your mask down, it's a fine. Or maybe not a fine, because I don't like the ideas of fines in general. Some kind of punishment, a suspension. That would be great. You take down your mask uh, to, to talk to someone, it's, I don't know, a game misconduct for the coach. I think that would be a great idea to instill. And for DJ Smith, throwing his gum into the stands, 20-game suspension. I mean, look, there would be... It's not like there wouldn't be a precedent if they started, like, punishing these coaches. I mean, you look at the NFL. 
uh, they had a very strict mask policy on the sideline. And if you were found to be violating it, I mean, you were fined uh, $100,000, the coach was. And then the team was fined $250,000. On top of that, you did it over and over. You start losing draft picks. Um, and yes, that's an extreme solution. However, uh, we're talking about an extreme pandemic right now. Uh, so I think those measures would be warranted and the NHL should consider them because the amount of stupidity I've seen on the bench during, you know, various broadcasts across the league, highlights and whatnot is astounding. Um, it's like all these dudes, all these old white men have no idea what, what's going on here. No consideration. And it's not like, you know, the league is immune from COVID. Literally look at the news. It's like every week we're talking about the thing spreading in the league. Someone's game is postponed. And then, yeah, obviously now this week with the Canucks, uh, you have no sensitivity to what's going on right now. Uh, and like, you don't even know if you have COVID, you don't know, like you can talk about testing all you want, but like, look where the testing got the Canucks. Um, and like, first of all, yeah, DJ Smith, absolutely no consideration for the cleaning staff, uh, for just matters in general. I mean, like what happened there? Did he skip the manners class in university? Um, was he supposed to take one? Like what, what you're just gonna, you're just gonna take out your gum, take down your mask, take out your gum and chuck it over the glass. Um, like, where did he learn that? What kind of inconsiderate idiot does that? Um, it's completely mind-blowing. It's completely, like, this, that's a jerk move. That's a real asshole move. Um, like, only an asshole would do that. Like, if you were a nice person, you wouldn't be like, you know what, let me let me just litter. Let me just litter <laughs> and chuck my gum over the glass. Let alone the fact that, yeah, you as you accurately pointed out, we are literally in the middle of a pandemic where, like, the main form of transmission is, like, spit and stuff. Uh, and so how about not throwing like literally a giant spit projectile into the stands uh, for someone else to clean completely inconsiderate. Uh, and you know what? I'm glad he got busted for it uh, because I mean, I'm sure it goes on all the time and it's good that, you know, people can see the sheer stupidity that's going on with these coaches um, because yeah. And he's not the only one. Well, well maybe he's the only one with a gum thing, but I, first of all, I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't. Uh, but with this whole mask thing, uh, like you see all the time. These guys don't want to wear a mask. Um, just, dude, everybody else has to wear a mask. Deal with it. Um, this is a matter of public safety, a matter of public health. Uh, so, you know, it's it's completely mind-boggling. Like, where, what is your thought process there? Uh, and it must be a real asshole thought perspective if you're going and being like, you know, what's a good idea? I need to take down my mask, you know? And then I also need to chuck some gum. It's, it's, it's crazy to me. It's absolutely yeah, well. crazy. Well, he got, he got busted in the sense that we saw it and we know about it, but I'd be pretty surprised if he ended up getting punished for this. So in that sense, he kind of got off scot-free. But the thing you said before about littering, for whatever reason, it unlocked this memory I have of elementary school where, like, I was at probably, like, grade five or six, so, like, you know, the later stages of elementary school, and I heard my mom talking to uh, some other parent who had a kid that was much younger, like, kindergarten or grade one, and their mom says, I'm like, oh, yeah. He's a nice kid, but he has a littering problem. And I was like, what? How does a six-year-old have a littering? And apparently he would just constantly, like, I don't know, leave wrappers on the ground. And his mom would be like, no, no, pick it up. Throw it in a trash can. And I, I hope that kid uh, learned and stopped littering because don't litter kids. Uh, but I, that kind of stuck with me because it was like, I, I would have never even, like, even as a really little kid thought of, like, littering. Like, it's trash. Why would I put it on the ground? Yeah. And, and if you don't fix it, good for that parent. Because if you don't fix it, you grow, that kid grows up to be fucking DJ Smith. Yeah, um, exactly. So, yeah. so Exactly. So, like, you know, 
DJ Smith out here with the the littering acumen of a three year old. It's it's like <laughs> what is going on? Uh, and he's the coach of an NHL team. So yeah, it's just it's just one of those moments. And and yeah, I, I would. Is it going to happen? No, but I would encourage the NHL to consider these fines, consider these sure suspensions. Why the hell not? You know, like this is we're talking about people's lives, people's families' lives. Like enforce it, people. Come on, take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Speaking generally, I much prefer suspensions to fines uh, as a punishment, uh, or fining teams. I prefer that to fining individuals, uh, just because I don't. You know, like I guess if we're gonna get all big and grand here, in society in general, fines are a terrible punishment because it basically means it's illegal if you're poor, but if you can afford it, you can do whatever you want, uh, which is a problem that irks me quite a bit. Uh, so, for example, when McDavid here's a nice segue throws an elbow, a dirty elbow, on yes, Barry Cock and Yemi and only gets fined $5,000, I'm like, well, what's the incentive for him to not do it again? I mean, I don't think uh, he's the type of player to make a habit out of doing something like that. But, like, if he did, uh, $5,000 barely makes a dent uh, in his salary. Uh, so I think a suspension in cases like that would be uh, much more warranted. Uh, and, you know, that, that's another that's another hit, I guess. Where I, There were so many bad takes. One of them was from Sid Sixero. He was like, you know, everyone's always talking about him. You know, people are, you know, hooking, slashing McDavid, whatever. Uh, so, you know, it's all right for him to, you know, give it back every once in a while. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize Yasperi Kotkaniemi was the one in charge of everyone in the entire North Division, uh, cross-checking Connor McDavid in front of the net, whether or not he was playing the Montreal. I, sorry, I didn't realize Yasperi Kotkaniemi was the one telling everyone to, to hurt Connor McDavid, and he deserves the brunt of the, the retaliation. Yeah, did you hear? Your Sperry is the grandmaster behind this whole NHL problem. He's just he's just a sicko. He just loves to see people getting cross-checked, especially the stars. So no, it, it's completely absurd. Uh, that's that's a terrible take by Sid. Uh, and yeah, I mean that's what happens though, right? Like you have an environment where that's perfectly fine. Nobody gets suspended. The fines are marginal at best. They're inconsequential completely. Um, at worst, which they are most of the time. Uh, and you know, like that's what's gonna happen. And then, like the stars, you know, they realize, yeah, I could get away with it. Uh, is it the best use of their talents? Absolutely not. Um, but I mean, I understand that, like McDavid, could get frustrated if he keeps getting cross-checked, keeps getting hooked, slashed. Not many calls going his way. Um, but it's like it's it's the whole the whole the stupidity of an eye for an eye thing. You know, like that's not what we should be encouraging here. Uh, nor should we be like justifying it in any way. Uh, it's just like cut down on it. We've talked about it. We've talked about the refereeing problem just last week. Uh, and we've talked about the wider discipline problem in the NHL all the time. Uh, and it's just another one of those things. And then like, you can't be surprised when like the stars start to lash out, but it's not, they're not justified in doing it. Uh, mm. It's just like a bigger sign that they need to fix things because Connor McDavid is out here throwing elbows left and right. Uh, and that's not fun to watch. Uh, if you're a fan of anybody, uh, or just a fan of hockey in general, like it's, yeah, mm-hmm. it's making the game worse, you know. And like you, you hate to see it. Well, I don't want to see Carter McDavid out here hurting people. Uh, like even like you know, it's just it's terrible. Yeah, it wouldn't be. I'm not. I don't think it would be more defensible. But that take would at least make more sense. If it was a situation where like Yasperi Kotkaniemi had just like slashed Connor McDavid and Connor McDavid kind of like not a headshot of course, but you know gave him a little something back, it would make more sense at least. But there's no uh why can't I think of the right word uh coordination? What, what's the word? Correlation. That's the one. There is 
absolutely no correlation between what uh, McDavid has to go through and that hit with the Asperi Cock and Yemi. Uh, in fact, by all accounts, from watching the game, it just looked like he was frustrated that the Oilers had such a bad first period and they were already losing 3 nothing, and he just kind of took it out on the nearest player. Right. So, I mean, yeah, this is nonsense. Absolute nonsense. It's got to stop. Uh, and... Yeah, it's just it's just a guy that's frustrated, and he could just take it out on a guy in the middle of the ice, out of nowhere, and he gets hit with a five thousand dollar fine. That in itself is dumb as hell. And then when you take into consideration that it's gotten to the point where the superstars realize they can do that and they do it, uh, you know, now you've got yourself a worse product in terms of entertainment value. It's just you know why why are we endorsing this? Why are we giving this minimal fines? Uh, it's just, it's not great for the game. And the other fine that was uh, sent out to a star player this week, Nathan McKinnon. This one I found to be much more hilarious. Uh, I, I, this gif is one of the greatest hockey gifts of all time. I think, I think it kind of achieved instant classic territory because it took me several watches to figure out what had actually happened. Uh, basically, Nathan McKinnon in a scrum uh, had somehow ended up with Connor Garland's helmet in his hands. And he underhand threw sort of a toss but also sort of not really a toss a little more than a toss threw it back at him in his chest area and at first when i was watching this i didn't realize where the helmet had come from it kind of like just from watching garland it looked like the helmet had kind of just magically spawned in like his chest area (laughs) and like flew up into the air because just watching Garland was like well where did that come from who whipped it at him but just from watching mckinnon it looks like a, a friendly little toss like he was he was throwing it to i don't know like a five-year-old child or something like that and people did point out like oh yeah you look at like the the subtle flick of mckinnon's wrist uh makes it look uh makes it actually look like it's going slower than it actually is uh so when you really do watch it several times and look at the speed of the helmet if that had hit garland like in the face or something that could have actually hurt him uh so i guess a fine and just you know the concept of throwing equipment kind of dangerous we should probably punish that yeah, probably. I mean, look at that. That thing's I'm looking at it right now on repeat. Uh, significant velocity, and it's hard plastic. I mean, that can do damage to a guy, especially, like, right to the face. You know, it can break his nose or something with that. Um, but, yeah, it's a pretty silly gif. I'm just, I, I've watched it, like, 20 times in a row now. Uh, and, I mean, the whole thing, like, what? Uh, like, if you look at, like, before the clip, uh, like, it's McKinnon. They're, they're kind of wrestling, right? Uh, and he, it looks like he's, like, expressly targeting the helmet. Like, you know, like, they, they get into a little scrum, and it looks like the entire time that, like, McKinnon's trying to rip the helmet off of Garland's head. So, you know, it makes you wonder, was this premeditated? Uh, is this I'm McKinnon's throw go-to it at move? Let me, yeah, uh, let me let me just take his helmet off so I can chuck it at him. Uh, and, you know, that like, and the fact that it's, like, an underhand throw somehow makes it funnier. You know what I mean? Like, if it was an For overhand sure, yeah. throw, it would be pretty vicious. It would be pretty vicious, and you're like, Okay, comment down. I would have got it suspended for um, that. Yeah, probably. But that, like, <laughs> yeah, the underhand throw, and yeah, it kind of looks like a bowling ball in motion, you know, and it's just, yeah, a pretty silly moment. And uh, I mean, the punishment was just, I think he got a game misconduct, didn't he? Or a 10 minute one? Uh, I'm not sure what kind of penalty he got in the game, but I know he got the $5,000 fine afterward. Uh, yeah, so that's what's up with that. Uh, I actually forgot to mention when we were talking about the Canadians, I wanted to shout out Michael Froelich, finally got into some game action. 
All right, he needed uh, to have Armia on COVID protocol and Toffoli injured, and Eric Stahl still on non-roster serving quarantine for him to get in. But he got in, he played, and the Canadians won both games. Uh, to be totally honest, I don't expect that he'll get into the lineup again this season unless uh, they really get hit by the injury bug or, or something like that. Uh, because he, he was barely noticeable. He was he was solid. He was fine. Uh, but I'm not exactly saying they got to get Froelich back in, especially uh, the fact that he, they're probably going to be at least 14, maybe more forwards who are uh, who are better than him, who are going to circle in and out. Yeah, I mean, you feel for the guy, first of all. Well, I don't know if you feel for the guy, but like, you know, like four, he's played four games all season. Two. Um, like, I don't know how many, well, four games, like hockey games, like professional hockey games, two for the Habs, two for the Rockets. Oh, okay. And he's just kind of been sitting on the, the taxi squad the the rest of the time and like is he making money at the same time yeah um but you know probably not great for his career but then again his career is probably winding down at this point he's like what 33 uh and so you know basically free cash at this point just show up to the practice get paid like 900 grand um so i mean good for him in that sense but yeah he was not noticeable at all uh barely like i barely even noticed that he was in the game uh and like every time like they called his name. I was like, oh, I forgot he was in the game. And so, you know, for a team that's supposed to be built on the depth, that's not really, really that's not what really you really want, right, on your fourth line. And so, and there are better guys available. And once they get healthy, you know, Toffoli's back and everything. So, and Stahl's about to start, once they start playing, now this quarantine's over. So, uh, but yeah, fresh face. Michael Froelich, and who knows, maybe uh, he'll just be a nice depth guy moving forward since the have schedule. So, packed. Yeah, it's going to be a fun trivia question down the line, I think, of like, who's the only uh, Canadians forward to wear number 67 after Max Pacioretty was traded? It'll be Michael Froelich. Uh Let's talk about the waivers of this week. Uh, and the one big name that was on waivers, Shane Gostisbehere. Uh Probably the most notable of all the notable players who went unclaimed just because he's making a lot of money, of which there have been several this year, Paul Byron included. Shane Gostisbehere was one of people like, really, is no one going to take a chance on Shane Gostisbehere? And uh, yes, no one is going to take a chance on Shane Gostisbehere. Even teams with plenty of cap room to make it happen. Uh, even teams uh, with bad defense cores like uh, New Jersey, LA, Detroit, Ottawa, Florida. By the way, I just read straight up from the bottom of the uh, cap space list. So those teams all have plenty of room. Uh, and how about the Buffalo Sabres just saying, oh, yeah, well, we know they don't have any money that they want to spend, considering they don't even have assistant general managers. Uh, but, yeah, this really just screams like we don't care about making the team better and we don't want to, to pay for it, uh, which makes sense in some of those teams' cases, like Buffalo and Detroit, the teams near the bottom. But, like, the Panthers, who Ekblad just is, is out for probably the entire season now after that terrible injury, and now you have a chance and you have the cap room also. Uh, to bolster your defense. And apparently they looked at him and they were like, yeah, we don't like Shane Gostisbehere, so we're not going to add him. Uh, it's kind of weird. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. Like, it would be weird in a normal situation. Like, if his contract wasn't so bad, uh, that would be a more normal situation because I understand not wanting to, quote-unquote, take a chance on a guy who has two and a half years left on his contract. At four and a half million dollars when he's been pretty freaking bad and so bad that this guy's on waivers now. Um, so, you know, like that's a very hefty uh, chance, you know, quote unquote, uh, because, 
yeah, like the, the cap supposedly is going to stay flat for a while. Do you want to contribute four and a half million to this dude? Like, I would, like, if I had significant cap space, I would think about it. If I'm Florida, like, I think there are better options out there than Shane Goss to spare. I understand he's got some promise, but at four and a half million dollars for two more years after this one, like, I get that, you know, win now, but like at that point, just like go for a rental, you know? Uh, I don't know if it makes sense to like commit like, like almost over $10 million to Shane Gostisbehere, well, especially when you look at the way his, his play is really nosedived. Um, you know, like, the, like, are there dudes that, you know, you could be like, oh, okay, I'd rather not have Joel Edmondson at his cap hit in exchange for Shane Gostisbehere. And yes, that's very valid. However, you know, that's not the kind of retrospect you can apply because uh, you didn't know this guy was going to be on waivers. And also, like, well, see, like, it's one thing is to pick him up on waivers. Another thing is to be like, can we please trade Shane Goss, trade for Shane Goss to spare, trade away Joel Edmondson. Um, but, like, just picking him up, I understand not teams. I, I understand teams not doing it. Um, and for, for Buffalo, that's very much on brand because they don't spend the money because they're not very interested in being getting better. They're after that first overall pick. Uh, first overall pick, who no one knows who it's going to be. Uh, but anyway, the thing with Gosh's Bear, though, is it's not out of nowhere that his play nosedive since his rookie season. Like, he was in his first, he was an offensive dynamo in his rookie season. That's why he was a caller finalist. And the Flyers made the mistake of trying to mold him into something he isn't, uh, which is a quote unquote all around player, defensive specialist, which, of course, it's very nice to have an all around player, but. Uh, they made it so that his offense suffered because of it. So I think there are plenty of teams around the league who Gostisberg could go and they would say, all right, uh, do what you do best, play on the power play, uh, start in the offensive zone on those shifts, and uh, focus on helping us score. And then he probably would be worth the $4.5 million cap hit again. Uh, I understand that a lot of teams, that idea doesn't appeal to them so much of having a defenseman who isn't really used to defend that often. But, I mean, based on all the skills Gossespear has and all the promise he showed, uh, not just in his rookie season, but in flashes since then as well, I think it probably would be worth it for someone, or would have been. I mean, look, that's the thing, right? It's like it's a risk assessment because it is risky because it's definitely no guarantee that if you, you know, even if you put him in the best of scenarios and be like, okay, Shane, run wild, um, he just might be worse now. They Like, the Flyers might have broken him. Like, that's a very distinct possibility, right? Um, and, like, you know, all the potential he had in his rookie season, you know, maybe that's kind of dried up because they've kind of forced him to that mold. Um, you know, that's not to say that it's not possible, you know, that he definitely is broken. But, like, if you're a team looking at whether you want to add a guy on waivers, like, that's definitely a consideration to take. And if you're wrong and, like, he he just doesn't pan out, I mean, you're talking at a very significant cap hit in this tight, flat cap era for a defenseman that isn't good at all. You know, and I think that's the risk because, yeah, I think that I think that's the risk that they kind of weighed. Yeah. And, you know, I don't completely disagree with the, the like all these teams saying we'll pass on Shane Goss this bear, you know? Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess that doesn't make sense. Uh, let's talk about another transaction of the week. Uh, Thatcher Demko signed his extension. He was one of the big players that Vancouver had to get under contract five by five. Uh, and my first instinct was that's a lot of uh, money for a goalie who's only played, I think it was 62 career games at the time. But then again, um, Vancouver's really only hope of having any sort of success over the next many years is that Thatcher Demko is a great starting goalie. Uh, and if Thatcher Demko is a great starting goalie, then $5 million is an absolutely reasonable cap it and might end up being a steal down the road. 
So, like, the options here are either Demko is great, in which case the contract works out well, or if Demko sucks, then honestly, it barely even matters that the contract sucks because you're too busy uh, on focusing on that your team sucks. So this is this happens a lot with goalie contracts, I find, where it's like, uh, yeah, it, maybe it's a bit much, but also uh, if, if it works out, then the whole team will probably, you know, end up being great because of it. Whereas if it doesn't work out, the money isn't really even an issue at that point. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a fair evaluation, I think. Um, like, I don't, like in a vacuum, I think that's a, that's a nice contract. If you're signing Thatcher Demko, I mean, 25 years old, he'll, he'll be a UFA when he's 30. That's still very much like goalie prime age, you know? And so you're not overpaying for that in terms of age. Um, it's just with the, the Canucks, you know, it's the whole cap situation. It's like, uh, how are they going to sign all these dudes? Uh, and I mean, it's just, you know, you're, you're adding another $5 million in the cap. Next year, you're paying the goalies $9.3 million uh, because Holtby's still on the books for another year at 4.3. So, uh, you know, like that, that, that's the point that like, you know, you kind of make your, you kind of scratch your head, like how are they going to make the cap situation work? But in terms of like roster construction, you're absolutely right. Like, uh, you need Thatcher Demko. You need a great goalie at this point because, uh, of how kind of mismanaged the, the cap situation has been. And I mean, if he does manage to be that like $5 million is a great contract. Now, uh, you know, $4.3 million for fucking Braden Holby next year, maybe not so much. But that's besides the point when you're evaluating this contract right now. Uh, and yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a nice piece of work, I would say, like locking this guy up for until he's 30 years old. Yeah, honestly, I think uh, Vancouver's going to be uh, begging Seattle to take Braden Holtby uh, and might even provide some kind of sweetener for them to take him off their hands. Because if not, I mean, Braden Holtby isn't very good anymore and costs quite a bit. And they're probably going to have, you know, plenty of nice pickings from around the league on what goalies they want to have. And Vancouver, for whatever reason, when they signed Holtby, uh, there seemed to be this this thought around the entire league of like, oh yeah, and it's two years because Seattle's going to take him. Like, why would Seattle want Braden Holtby when, I mean, Jake Allen, we've already kind of, you know, come to peace with the fact that Seattle's going to take him. And Anton Hudobin uh, might be appealing to them as well. I think he signed for two years after this one. So I think Vancouver might even pony up, like, I don't know, like a third, second round pick or something to... Uh, have Seattle take uh, Braden Holtby off their hands so that they actually have room to keep Elias Patterson and Quinn Hughes. Yeah, Holtby sucks. He, it's not even that he's not very good anymore. He fucking sucks. Uh, I mean, the last two years, last year it was 897. Everybody's like, uh-oh, what's happening here? Uh, now he's even worse in 12 games, 894. Um, he's a terrible goaltender. And the, the Kraken, if he's available, why the hell would you want that? Uh, a sub-900 goalie for $4.3 million? Uh, if that's who my expansion pick is going to be, you better damn well give me a whole shit ton of stuff. Um, and yeah, like the belief when they signed this contract that, uh, oh, it, this is just for the crack and that second year is just for, for the crack and that's completely misguided. Uh, and yeah, it just it, like you're gonna, probably going to have to be one of those teams who like, you know, just did the, te- did the thing that the, they're going to do the thing that all these teams did with, with the Vegas expansion draft and it completely basically all of them in the ass, you know, trading uh, to kind of alleviate the, the cap situation. But, I mean, that's the situation they find themselves in. This is the Jim Benning experience, uh, and, I mean, they'll just have to live with it. Yeah, before we get to the trivia this week, uh, there's one more thing I want to talk about, uh, which is offensive forwards whose coaches hate them. Um, let's start with Jakob Verana. I saw today he's getting healthy scratched for the second time in a row. Uh, I think he 
is near the top or maybe even is tied for the lead in even strength goals for the Capitals. He kind of appeared to be a staple in their top six uh, now, especially after Andre Burakovsky was traded a couple years ago. Uh, but Peter Laviolette decided that he doesn't play defense well enough, so he's scratching him twice in a row. Uh, but that pales in comparison to the Patrick Laine situation in Columbus. Now, I want to preface this by saying I actually just traded for Patrick Laine in my fantasy league. I traded Timo Meyer in exchange for Patrick Laine. Timo Meyer overall this season, especially as of late, has been the more valuable fantasy asset, but I'm taking a, a swing on upside and the possibility that Patrick Laine could very easily pop off for like five goals right when I need it most because he tends to do that sort of thing out of absolutely nowhere. But I have come to the realization that in order for that to happen, he would probably need to be traded to not the Blue Jackets. Uh, that would probably be a big help for him and for my fantasy team um, because here's here's a quote from the score that Patrick Lyon says about about this current slump that he's in. He's always said when he, whenever he goes through slumps that uh, as long as he's getting chances, he's not worried. But he said, so I feel like this is kind of new. I'm not even getting chances. That's something I've never had before. I guess that's just the way it goes sometimes. Uh, so yeah, unfortunately, the Patrick Lyon and John Tortorella uh, tag team that we all kind of speculated would be a total nightmare has been even worse than we could have imagined. As John John Tortorella barely plays Patrick Laine and hates him, tries to turn, turn him into a power forward, and they just absolutely con- conflict in terms of personalities and and probably how they perceive the game of hockey. And uh, yeah, it's just a total nightmare over there. Yeah, look, I mean, we saw this coming a mile away, and I've said that we've seen this coming a mile away, and it's the situation keeps evolving. I mean, it's a complete mess out there. That whole Tortorella Laine dyma- dynamic, it's uh. It was never going to work. It was never, ever going to work. Uh, and uh, that's clearly manifesting right here. I mean, the trade that you made, that Meyer for uh, Lion A trade, absolute fool. Like, it's just completely foolish. Um, because, Ooh. you know, actually, Timo Meyer's been, yeah, as you said, heating up recently. And I was like, oh, man, Timo Meyer, that's a sweet pickup. I'm jealous. I wish I had waiver money to spend. Um, <laughs> and And here you are trading him for an absolute scrub. Who, as you, as he says himself, barely gets any chances anymore. Does is is like is is chained to the defensive zone because that's what Tom uh, Tortorella wants him to do. And I mean, there's no there's no light at the end of the tunnel here for Patrick Laine. I mean, you can talk about upside all you want, but he can't score those goals if he's literally not on the ice because his ass is stapled to the bench. Um, so uh, that's a bit of a foolish trade. I was still I'm still scratching my head as to why you did that one. Um, but you know, otherwise. Uh, complete disaster for Columbus. I mean, the Dubois situation was also a complete disaster. Uh, and uh, what's the common element here? Oh, it's John Tortorella. Who would have known he clashed with star players? It's not the first time it's happened. We've talked about it repeatedly on this podcast. And uh, yeah, here we are again. It's like we're on the same, uh, it's like we're watching reruns of the same show out there in Columbus. Uh, and, you know, they're uh, a very mediocre team, you know, fighting, being scrappy for a playoff spot. Mostly their, their, their success is capped by the fact that they don't have star players because their coach drives them away. Um, and so, and doesn't get the best out of them. So yeah, here we are. And I mean, if I'm, uh, Yarmo Kekalainen, I am not resigning, uh, Tortorella because, uh, this is the formula. This happens every single fucking year. Uh, maybe you get in a first round, uh, playoff berth. Oh, you can always pray that you'll beat Tampa Bay. Um, because that happened once. But aside from that, you're going nowhere. You're going absolutely nowhere. Um, because Torch is just completely unable to get anything out of star players. Yeah, 
Uh, from Cap Friendly here, this from yesterday morning. Uh, since the that trade, the three players involved, uh, Line has 14 points in 28 games. Pierre Luc Dubois, uh, not much better, 14 points in 23 games. And Jack Rosley, like 22 points in 31 games. Uh, so he had been performing apparently the best out of all three. And uh, he was a healthy scratch yesterday, Jack Roslevic, um, which is a very strange move. And that was in favor of a seventh defenseman, Michael Delzato, drawing into the lineup. So John Tortorella just uh, trying to galaxy brain his way to fourth place in the division once again. Uh, not not such a great coach. Now, here's the th- we've talked, I, we might have mentioned this several times with John Tortorella, how he's a great coach of mediocre players. And Michael Del Zotto has even said, like, John Tortorella is his favorite coach. And it's like, way to go, John. You found the one guy who loves playing for you, Michael Del fucking Zotto. <laughs> and, and then every time a star player shows up, John Tortorella ruins them. Uh, like, the Sedins hated playing for him. Uh, Artemi Panarin wanted to get out of there as fast as possible. Pierre-Luc Dubois hated it. Patrick Laine hates it. Uh, and as we all know, in order to find any sort of meaningful success, you need to have star players. And if the star players hate your coach, you need a different coach. And uh, on top of that, he's just a complete asshat. So uh, uh, it's just I, like, as you said, yeah, coach of uh, great coach of mediocre players, and that'll get you a wild card spot every other year. Uh, and I mean, that's the formula. It's always kind of been that formula, you know. Uh, and so I don't know why. Uh, kind of surprised. Like, did you expect more from the fucking Columbus Blue Jackets and their ragtag jump, ragtag group of nobodies? Um, you know, it's like. It, it, like, look at them right now. They're behind the freaking Blackhawks and the Predators. They're fucking bad. Um, so, like, they're second last in the division. Think about that. Second last in the division. You can talk about all you want about, you know, oh, we're in the playoff hunt. You're second last. The only team worse than you is Detroit. Um, so, yeah, this is this is uh, not a good situation. And, yeah, you talk about Roslovic. Like, he was supposedly, uh, like, the only well, good performing piece. Well, lo and behold, he's on the healthy scratch train. And, uh, yeah. I don't know, like the I, I what's with all these coaches and the, the healthy scratch thing, you know, like you're trying to play mental games with their players. I mean, I don't think that's the most effective thing, frankly. Uh, a little bit of public humiliation. Uh, I I don't really I don't get it. But anyways, it's commonplace in the league, and uh, I'll live with it. Mm-hmm. All right. Speaking of my fantasy team, uh, which we I guess you aren't speaking of that much anymore. Uh, let's update everyone that I'm in fourth place out of twelve currently, and you're in second. Uh, but I am currently losing this week playing against the first place team. Although I do have the fourth most points this week, uh, in our league, uh, Patrick Line is the final piece of my puzzle gearing up for a great playoff run. Uh, and I'm going to be the, the champion of this league. Cole Caulfield's stuffed animals will reign supreme. Uh, thank you very much. And meanwhile, Jack Johnson will be a terrible disappointment, uh, losing as soon as possible. Yeah. As soon as possible. That still might be later than, than your team. Um, I think you're destined for a first-round exit at this point. It looks like you'll probably finish fourth or fifth. Uh, so you'll have a four or five matchup probably against Pasta for dinner. Uh, and I'll be, I don't know. I think I think I might be heading for a bye here in the first round of the playoffs. I'll be sitting pretty while uh, all you clowns in the three to six range will be fighting it out for a, a precious semifinal berth. Um, and yeah, you know. It's who, who have I added recently? Let's see. It's been a while since we've had a fantasy little uh, update here on the podcast. But yeah, uh, I've actually I've been actually know? pretty busy wheeling and dealing leading into the trade deadline. So let me tell everyone uh, my great team right now. Uh, hopefully, Elias Pedersen will be back soon. But actually, uh, with the Canucks situation, uh, it may be quite a while—not even just for his injury, but before the Canucks even play again. 
so I'm not sure what's going to happen with that. I've also got Ryan Ellis and Tristan Jari on IR. But my three healthy goalies right now, Jack Campbell, Bill Grubauer, and Robin Leonard, three superstars. All right, on defense, uh, we got five, five uh, more superstars. John Carlson, uh, one of the best uh, fantasy defensemen that there is. Alex Petrangelo, Mark Giordano, uh, Matthias Ekholm, and Philip Ronick. Kind of tails off a bit at the end there, but we can manage. Uh, we got Matthew Barzell, Jamie Benn, Patrick Kane, Patrick Line, a couple of Patricks, Mark Stone, Vladimir Tarasenko, Taylor Hall, Brady Kachuk, Kevin Fiala, and James Van Riemsdyk. Uh, this is a powerhouse, an absolute juggernaut. All right, come playoff time, no one will be able to stop this incredible team. Okay, well, nobody except perhaps this next team uh, named Jack Johnson. Now, uh, I, have made, I haven't made as many moves, but uh, we've made some minor tweaks here. Notably, my defensemen... Uh, are significantly better than yours up and down the roster. So we have uh, Burns and Yossi. They suck. Studs on the defense core that have been there the entire Ooh. time. Uh, Tyson Berry, uh, extreme superstar, stacking on that uh, Oilers power play. We have Josh Morrissey, uh, fifth guy, excellent fifth guy, you know, quarterbacks at Jets power play. And uh, our new addition, uh, who I traded for, you know, relatively recently, Chris Letang, absolute stud. I paid nothing for him. Well, actually, I don't you remember what Sean I paid Monahan for. You paid Sean and Rasmus Dallin. That's nothing. I paid Rasmus, washed up Rasmus Dallin, and uh, frankly, up. pretty useless Sean Monahan was riding my bench the entire time. Uh, so instead, exchange I got for I got a prime elite defenseman uh, on the Pittsburgh Penguins, and uh, and uh, you know the the rest of the team is relatively same. And uh, notably, we we have uh, our rising star, Mister Regression to the Mean, Mika Zibanejad. And uh, he'll, he'll carry me to the end. And as for the goalie situation, it has changed quite a bit. I've traded Linus Allmark uh, in a trade for Patrick Hornquist. Uh, shout the out goalies to Linus are going to sink you. Great goaltender. Um, but uh, right now I have Cam Talbot, who's an Ooh. absolute monster, by the way. Backup. Have you seen Cam Talbot recently? Have you seen Cam Talbot recently? Literally not a backup because he's played, let's see. Um, yeah, I know. He's not a backup uh, He's played anymore. one, two. He's, yeah, he's played seven of the last eight games. And he's won six of them. So, uh, Kapokakonen, move out of the way for uh, the new Minnesota Wild man, Cam Talbot, uh, who, yeah, just, like, beat the Golden Knights twice in a row. And you saw those saves? Who was against some some scrub on the, the Vegas Golden Knights? He had, like, two saves in 10 seconds. It was remarkable. Um, but aside from that, I have Kevin Lankin, an absolute steal on the waiver wire. I couldn't believe I got this guy. Uh, Cal Peterson, he's just a plug. And I have uh, Tuka Rask on the waiver wire. And also, uh, sorry, not waiver wire, on the injury reserve. And Ben Bishop, whenever he comes back, he will carry me to the title. Just you watch. Yeah, he's going to the entire man. year for you, Ben Bishop, sitting on the IR. That's right. I paid nothing for him, though, so it's okay. Um, no, mm-hmm. I didn't really expect much. It's just like a, it's just a nice piece. You know, finals week, he shows up. He gets three shutouts. I'm happy. I win the whole thing. I'm ready for it. Yeah, you know, the only, the only thing, the only compliment I will pay to your team is that I spent a lot of time uh, beating myself up over taking Elias Pedersen in the second round instead of David Pasternak. I mean, uh, I couldn't have known that Elias Pedersen would get injured, but I mean, you know, still kind of, still kind of hurts a little bit. Even anyway. injured, even even healthy, even healthy, I would take Pasternak over Pedersen any day. Uh, yeah. Still wondering what you, what the hell you were doing there, um, but uh, he fell to my lap, picked him in the third round, easy. I was hoping for Ranton. All right. One pick before, I was like, ah, why'd you take a Ranton? Anyway, all right, let's start this trivia out. Okay. All right. Uh, so yeah, trivia. What we did was uh. We look, we're looking at this week's, uh, well, last week's new acquisition, Mr. Eric Stahl. But not just Eric Stahl. 
we're looking at the whole merry band of the stalls. So this week's trivia is a uh, is the Stall Brothers themed quiz. I've Wonderful. got I've got ten questions. I've got ten questions. How many do you think you got? Uh, the seven sound like a good threshold. Seems to be what we usually do. Okay, seven on ten. Let's do it. All right. So let's start nice and easy. Very basic question. How many Stall Brothers are there who have played in the NHL at least one game? Four. Okay, very good. There are there have been four. Okay. How many? Well, okay, fine. Let's start with this. What 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 was their birth order? Oh, their birth okay. See, I know the main three. I, I'm not sure where Jared fits in. I don't think he's the youngest. I don't think he's the oldest. Uh I know I know the oldest is Eric and then it goes Eric, Mark, Jordan. I'm not sure if Jared is before Mark or after Mark. I don't think he's the young wait, is he the youngest? Oh man. Now I'm starting to think he was drafted in like two thousand eight or something, like after Jordan. Uh yeah, I'll go with I'll go with George the youngest. So I'll go with oldest to youngest, Eric Stahl, Mark Stahl, Jordan Stahl, Jared Stahl. Very good. Very good. So we're at two for two. Jared is the youngest. They're all separated by two years. Yay. Uh, very ordered. Okay. How many have played at one point in their career for the Hurricanes? Uh, three of them. Eric, Jordan, and Jared. Okay. Wow. We've got ourselves a, a stall expert here. Um, That's me. Okay. How about this one? Did they ever all play at the same time on the Hurricanes? They did. All I've actually I've seen this picture a couple times. They were they were actually in the starting lineup together one time. Uh, Eric Jordan and Jared, and they were standing out all together with their jerseys. So I'm fairly confident the three of them did play at least one game together. Yeah, April twenty fifth, twenty thirteen. Um, that was the one time they they all played on the same line, the stall line, uh, and uh, that was one of two games Jared ever played for the Hurricanes and in yeah. the NHL for that record. All right. Okay, so how many Stanley Cups do they all have combined? Ooh, all right. Uh, well, Eric has the one in Carolina. Um, Jordan has just the one in Pittsburgh. Uh, pretty sure that's it. I'm going to go with two. Wow, five for five. Absolutely rolling. I had no idea you knew so much about the freaking Stahl brothers. I don't know <laughs> any of these things. Um, all right. Okay, so... Go with which brother in parentheses S. Um, so how many and which one potentially were drafted <laughs> in the top 10? Uh, okay. I know Eric and Jordan were both second overall picks. Mark. Oh, he was, he was the 2005 year. He was either in the top 10 or like just outside Kopitar was 11th that year. Yeah, I feel like Mark was in the was like nine or ten. So I'm gonna go with three of them: Eric, Mark, Glass. and Jordan. It is only two, uh, and uh, Mark was 12th overall. So just oh. Kopitar that year. So, Ouch! So I messed up. So close, but yeah, second, second, and uh, Jared was like 25th uh, a couple years. Oh, back. I didn't even know he was a okay. first rounder. Yeah, he was a first rounder. Um, so. Who has the highest cap hit right now? Um, that would be Jordan, who's making like six million. Right, very good. No, the answer is actually Jared. 
Um, he's getting uh, paid eight million dollars a year. No, I'm just kidding. It is Jordan. Uh, Marcus very close behind though, five point seven. Yeah, and then Eric, as we know, three point two five half it retained for the Habs. Okay, all right. Who has which one of them has the nickname Gronk? Oh, that's a good question, and I have no idea. Uh, I I feel like we would have heard it a little more after the Eric Stahl trade. I'm like, here's Gronk or something, and I haven't. Don't think I really have. So I'm going to rule out Eric. Uh, I'd be shocked if Jared Stahl even had a nickname, so I'm going to rule him out as well. Um, so that leaves us with Jordan and Mark. And Mark gives off more Gronk vibes, also because the name Gronk kind of sounds a little bit like Mark. So I'm going to go with Mark Stahl. Ooh, the 50-50 did not pay off this time. It's actually Jordan, oh. um, which is a, quote, reference to a Marvel comic book supervillain was given to him by former Penguins teammate Colby Armstrong because of his, of his strong on-ice presence. Yet another awful nickname. Wow. Here, I uh, mean, it's better than Stalzy. At least there was some thought put into it. <laughs> That's true. Fair enough. Okay, so what are we at now? Are we, we were, how many questions I think I'm five for seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight. There have been eight questions. Oh, I think yes. Eight questions. Oh. You've been six for eight. Okay. All right. Okay. So two more. You have to get one of these two. All right. How many t- NHL teams did their father, Henry Stahl, play for? Wow, I had no idea their father ever did play in the NHL. I assume there is a chance you're trying to trick me, and Henry Stahl never played in the NHL. Uh, and also, if you had just straight up asked me, did their father play in the NHL, I would have guessed no. So I'm going to go zero teams. Wow. Very good. You you managed to escape the trap uh, because Henry Stahl, uh, his profession was a sod farmer. Wow. Okay, so that's that's something I learned today, what a sod farmer is. I don't but, know uh, what that yeah, is. Can you tell me? Hockey University. Yeah, I don't remember. I remember Googling <laughs> it. I think it's just like they farm soil. Um no, that sounds incredibly see. boring, but probably... Stop, on- stop call the tissue. Okay, yeah? Honestly, it's, it's probably very valuable uh, to providing food for people. So thank you, Mr. Henry Stahl, for all your hard work. Yes. Uh, so, like, uh, what was it? Sod cultivation is the only means of producing additional plants. Uh, I'm not sure what that means. But uh, huh. anyways, he farms sod. So uh, shout out, I, I assume it's grass. Uh, so shout out to the uh, Henry Stahl and all the sod farmers out there. Um, I'm sure we wouldn't be able to, well, have as nice lawns without you. Uh, okay. <laughs> all right. So actually, you've already won this quiz. Look at you. I sure did. Seven of nine. Yay. Um, so uh, yeah. So let's do a bonus. Bonus question. See if we can go for eight. Mr. Stahl expert. Um, how many times have they been traded? All four brothers. Ooh, this Fine. one's fun. All right. Um, Jared, I have no idea. So that one's is if he has been traded, that one's going to sink me uh, because I'm going to count zero for him. Jordan's been traded once from Pittsburgh to Carolina. Mark's been traded once from New York to Detroit just very recently. So we're at two. Eric uh, has been traded several times uh, from Carolina to New York. So now we're at three total. Uh, that offseason he signed with Minnesota, so that's not a trade. But he was traded from Minnesota to Buffalo, so now we're at four. 
And of course, just now from Buffalo to Montreal. So that's a total of five. Hoping Jared Stahl is never traded. My final answer is five. Very remarkable. Just a streak of excellence today. Very much on your game. You evaded all my traps, including me sliding in all four at the very end to see if you know you would consider throwing in an extra one for Jared. Um, but no, he was not traded. Uh, and yeah, you avoided the Henry, the Henry Stahl trap. And here we are. Eight for ten. Big victory. And a bonus on top and a bonus point on top to cap it all off. All right, great. Thank you very much for that nice quiz. Uh feels good to have a nice string of success going on there. Uh unlike the Montreal Canadiens who can't string together uh many wins in a row. Uh do you have any final thoughts or final words of wisdom before we wrap up this April fourth episode? Uh nothing much, I don't think. Oh, it's Easter today. Uh mm-hmm. which we haven't mentioned yet. So that's fun. Uh, I don't know what kind of chocolate hunt y'all do, uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I might, but like, you know, any 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 fun Easter things going on? Eating some chocolate, chasing some rabbits. What's going on over there? Did you just say tasting some rabbits? I said chasing some rabbits. Oh, okay. <laughs> but if, okay, that's, that's what better. You do, anyway, I won't judge. Okay, uh, actually, um, I won't say their name, but someone in the MWCA uh, Discord on. Good Friday says something like, God is dead till Sunday morning. Go crazy, everyone, which I thought was pretty funny. I thought I'd mention that. Uh, but yeah, I guess I guess on that note, uh, thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast. You can follow our podcast on Instagram at Fusion and Hockey Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handles are in the description. And actually, uh, next week, uh, well, we will have another fusion episode next week, but a cup uh, in like nine days from now, Tyse is going to be a guest on my other podcast, Disney Channel Discourse. So uh, keep an eye out for that. I might plug it again next week. Uh, I'm going to have Tyse react to a bunch of Disney Channel theme songs. That should probably be a fun time. <laughs>